filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Ben, I understand you watched a rocket take off tonight. I did. It was an exciting rocket launch from the eastern shore of Virginia. Uh, people may remember that there was supposed to be a similar rocket launch six months or a year ago, and that one uh, over kind- a year ago in 2014. Okay, uh, that one kind of exploded a lot on the launch pad, and so they had to get a new rocket, repair the pad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it took off tonight, so we watched the uh, liftoff on my computer, and then me and my wife and our little daughter ran outside, and we saw the long tail of the rocket uh, flying above uh, our neighborhood, and then it turned into a small dot, and then it eventually faded into the distance, and it was super cool to see it go. And then we watched the little computer animation of the rocket once it was out of visual range, and it is successfully in space and going to... Uh, dock with the international space station in a couple of days pretty cool yay science it was it it was really cool so next time if there's something taking off from uh wallops island i don't know (coughs) if the light pollution situation in dc is such that you can or can't see it although pablo mauer was actually tweeting out pictures of it so i guess you can see it uh in the dc area but so next time one of these takes off you should head outside and have a look and yay space Jason, what inspiring thing did you do tonight? Uh, I had a buffalo burger with avocado. <laughs> Ooh, avocado. That does sound good. All right, bison burger good. with avocado, pretty good. It's not when as you good say as buffalo like burger, a rocket you ship, mean, but I mean a burger mean made of buffalo. Or, yeah, bison. Okay. Okay. Or um, yeah, I was trying to figure if you meant that or a burger with buffalo sauce. No, no, no. This was this was a burger made of the meat of the animal bison. Okay. That sounds that does sound good. I, I mean, it's not as good as a rocket, but it's okay. Yeah. I coached soccer and then came home, took a shower, ate a pork chop, put my daughter to bed. Not necessarily in that order. And now this. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, where one of us does something inspiring or watches something inspiring from time to time while the rest of us eat bison and pork. I'm Adam Taylor. Uh, they are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, uh, the Washington Spirit, the Richmond Kickers, and whatever else we happen to be writing about on a particular day, mostly in the world of soccer, though. Uh, tonight, we are talking about DC United's fourth consecutive win. Hooray. They won this weekend 3-1 to one over the Pigeons of New York City Football Club, and we're going to talk about it. We're also going to talk about this coming weekend's regular season finale down in Orlando. That'll be Sunday, 4 o'clock on ABC7 here in the, the D.C. area. Uh, before we do anything, though, Mr. Inspiration, what are you drinking? So I went to Aldi, the uh, uh, discount low-price German grocer that is a somewhat cousin of Trader Joe's. And in the way that Puma and Adidas are cousins. 
Yeah, basically in exactly that way. Um, and they make some craft beers, what they call craft beers. Uh, the American ones are currently brewed, I believe, by Genesee Brewing out in uh, Rochester, New York. But this one, the one I actually got, is imported by a brewery actually in Belgium. So, because it is their uh, Boot Tread Belgian Amber Ale. And so, I mean, it so was... actually Belgian, not just Belgian style. Correct. But not Trappist, because that's only... Right. There are only, what, six of those breweries, I believe? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, but, so, it was six forty nine. so similar to Trader Joe's in that they sell uh, beer at a significant discount as compared to your micro brews, your local beers that you're going to be buying at other grocery stores. And it's not as good as the best of Richmond's local micro brews, but it's eminently quaffable for a beer that's six forty nine a six pack. All right. I'm glad it was uh worth the money anyway. <laughs> there you go. I am drinking Virginia's own uh Devil's Backbone Brewing Company, their eight point IPA. Which my favorite, is, my favorite uh, Virginia brewery. It is, it is quite good. Their Vienna Lager is very good. Uh, this is their IPA, and it's also very good. It's got a deer drinking water on the front, which is not necessarily an image I want to conjure when I'm drinking beer. You know, a kind of yellowish colored liquid. I don't want to think about what happens when a deer drinks water when I'm doing that. But now I am, and I'm going to fight through it. Uh, Jason, save me. What are you drinking? <laughs> It's not often that this show has to turn to me to to save somebody from talking themselves into a corner. Um, usually <laughs> this is where this we is, are today. Yeah, usually that's a bad sign because usually that's me. Like, please, somebody interrupt. Um, I was the reason we're, we're recording later than normal, and it was me pushing it back. And None of them I, knew that. None of them knew we were recording. Well, later it's than it's usual. relevant to what I'm drinking um, <laughs> because I ran out of time. Uh, and I had to restart my computer to make sure that we wouldn't have this just drop out and leave Ben with uh, surgery to perform. So what I have yep. is uh, Covassier VSOP on the rocks because it was the fastest thing I could put together. I was going to make a white Russian, but I do not have any half and half or cream. I only have milk, and milk in a white Russian is no good. This is true. Okay. It's a textural thing. You need the the, uh, the thickness. Fair enough. Uh, I don't have a good or bad segue to go from that to NYCFC. I was hoping you were going to give me something and you just... Nope. Thickness. Steadfastly. Yeah, yeah. You, you didn't use thickness? <laughs> I thought about it. I tried to come up with something with thickness and it, it, it wasn't going to happen. Uh, yeah, and I'm not going to try to make it happen. I'm not going to force the issue. I'm just going to say DC United started with probably the best 45 minutes that they've... Uh, put together in recent memory at RFK stadium, and then managed the second half well enough to come out with a three to one win over NYCFC goals from Patrick Mullins, Bobby Boswell and Rob Vincent, plus a David via PK in the second half. I uh, provided the final score line. Then this first half was almost unbelievable. It was so comprehensive uh, and so good from DC United. Yeah, it was fabulous. I mean, the offense was just clicking on all cylinders uh, the defense was uh, just shutting down David Villa and Tommy McNamara and the rest of the New York City attack. Uh, and the press, the high press that, uh, that led to uh, Rob Vincent's goal was just a thing of beauty. I mean, we know 
Josh Saunders is a very bad goalkeeper and not MLS quality. And the fact that he has multiple MLS cups is shocking and surprising, but uh, Lucho Acosta and Patrick Mullins uh, pressured very well together and fully created that disaster of a uh, passing on that back line. And they created that goal for Rob Vincent. And so they were just excellent in all aspects of the game. And Bill Hamid was back to his excellent self, especially in the second half, which we'll get to. And yeah, it was a comprehensive performance for DC United at just the right time. I, I think we're kind of used to DC United limping into the playoffs. So the fact that they're peaking right now and playing the best soccer we've seen probably in a couple of years is heartening. Yeah. We'll talk about that high pressure in, in just a minute, but uh, I do want to talk about the sequence that, that involved Bobby Boswell crossing to Steve <laughs> Birnbaum. That uh, was hilarious. And that amazing. was incredible. The, the two of them were up for a set piece and the ball got into the midfield. Lucho Acosta uh, gets the ball facing his own goal. He with, with room to turn if he really wanted to force the issue, but he plays it safe knowing that his two center backs are not back. Um, passes it back 40, 50 yards to Bill Hamid, who settles it, waits a second, and then finds Birnbaum running the line like a forward um, into the right corner. and just Boswell. Boswell, what did I say? Burnbaum. Oh, yeah. It was Boswell, um, which is somehow even funnier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the idea white of Rooney. Him running, yeah, exactly. Being the white Rooney uh, with apologies to, to Ryan Kiefer on that. Um, Hamid puts it on a dime for him, and he crosses it to Burnbaum, who volleys a shot <laughs> um, that, that missed the target, but not by, you know, it wasn't super close, but it also wasn't, like, out for a throw-in or anything. I think uh, RFK would have literally collapsed had that goal been scored. And I would have collapsed first. That was, that was incredible. Um, and it was a really fun half, and that was just kind of the the distillation of it into one moment even though it, it wasn't a goal yep. it was still great and united they put 11 shots on i think six of them or something like that on goal um just a really high conversion rate of shots on goal and then to score three of them is even better um it was fantastic um let's talk about that that pressure jason uh, you and i talked about it on lot eight live a little bit the way DC United pressured was not a constant sporting Kansas city style thing. It was more, they would pick their moments and they all knew what those moments were. Um, what was funny about Rob Vincent's goal is Patrick Mullins actually started pressuring. And then Lucho Acosta was still really deep, like trying to recover, I think from a defensive run that he had made and he was late coming up to pressure and Mullins was kind of angry at first. And then, um, Acosta closed down because NYC was slow about getting the ball upfield. And then obviously the goal came out of it. So it was kind of funny to see this momentary breakdown uh, of the pressure still get corrected and, and lead to a goal. Yeah. I mean, the goal, the goal is a farce. Um, I mean, <laughs> it, the thing is, especially, um, and Patrick Mullins made a point of answering a question about it by bringing up that, he, when he was playing with, with NYCFC, he played with Iriola, who has almost his entire career was spent at Athletic Bilbao in La Liga. Um, this is not a player who just gives the ball away like this. Um, 
that and this is the kind of giveaway you would see in like a rec league game and the rec league player would be ashamed of themselves um so it's that level of unlikely um the fact that Mullins slipped may have actually been why he was in position to receive that ball um but uh no i think um it's it's one of those things where the goal itself looks like a series of accidents but it all comes back to um United's attempts to pressure New York finally being paid off, obviously being paid off in the most ridiculous fashion, but um, the, the the payoff at first, I mean, when you do this, you're not necessarily saying this will definitely lead to a goal uh, that the other team just hands us. What you're trying to do is simply throw the other team out of their stride. And when you're talking about NYCFC, they want to play the ball around the back. And so the high pressure was designed to deny them that and force them to play a little longer, a little more direct than they normally want to play and make them deal with it. Um, and that's what United did well. And that's what gave them the foothold to dominate the half. Um, even when they weren't creating chances, the first 20 minutes, there weren't really any chances in the game. Um, but even when they weren't creating anything, they were still dictating how the game was going to be played. And NYCFC was not coming up with a response to that. Um, it just so happens that DC, when they created their first look at goal, they finished it, um, which is nice. You can't depend on that, but uh, you can set up these circumstances that allow you to have the cha- a, a big chance to open the scoring um, or to open the, the attempts at goal. Um, and it also gives you the possibility that the other team might make a gigantic mistake that otherwise wouldn't have happened. So, um I think it was a good advertisement for where the team is as as far as pressuring as a group. Um, it also, one of the things that comes with pressure or when you want to be a high-press team, you have to have very high soccer IQ spread out, especially in your midfield. Um, and I think at first in this game, um, there was a little stretch where United wasn't necessarily as organized as, as maybe the coaching staff would have liked. There were gaps popping up occasionally. Um, and part of that was the back four and Rob Vincent weren't moving up as quickly as they needed. So the, basically it was like five going and then uh, there was like a moment where there's too long, too much of a gap. Um, and then the other five would fill it in, but it was too late. They got better about that as the game went on. And at that point, NYCFC couldn't play through it. They didn't have any other ideas and you end up with a three, nothing half. Um, so it, it all comes back to getting it right, um, as a group and setting yourself up for success where you don't have to be earlier in the season. We had a lot of complaints about DC needing everything to be perfect and then having to still having to score a ridiculous goal to get on the board. And now they're setting themselves up where they don't have to score a ridiculous goal. They just have to put the ball in the net. I mean, Mullins was shooting into an empty goal. Um, He's running onto a ball that he's unmarked entirely. Saunders is out of position. He just has to kick the ball forward. It's one of the easiest things he could do. But all the work that goes into setting up that that easy chance is where the the quality of the team shows through and the intelligence of the the, the midfield now, especially and Mullins um, as as a group that really it comes to pay off, especially against a team like NYCFC. I rewatched that. Uh, I watched I rewatched Lucho's pass to Lloyd Sam mm-hmm. multiple multiple times after the game was over because. That's a that was a thing of beauty, and so was Sam's cross uh, mm-hmm. across the box, and so was Niarco's near post run, and so was yep. Mullins' check back to help create the the passing lane for mm-hmm. 
for Lucho's pass to Sam and then looping around to the back post because he recognized that Niarco was going to make the, the first run. It was, it was perfect attacking play from our front four. And I, I was thrilled to watch all of it and rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it. Because, yep. because what you're watching there is you're actually watching United move NYCFC around the field. Um, mm-hmm. At every moment, uh, everything you guys just mentioned, at every moment of that, an NYCFC player is reacting rather than thinking ahead. And they're all, oh, I've got to chase Mullins. Oh, I've got to do this. But they're not thinking when I do this, what's going to happen. They don't have time for that. So they're just chasing and they're just thinking of, you know, the house is on fire, put the, put the fire out. Um, they're not thinking of what else is going to come down the road. And so every single step of that was United being so far ahead of NYCFC that they're forcing them to chase. And then eventually, if you connect enough passes in in a moment like that, you're going to end up with someone wide open in front of goal and you get a tap in. Yeah. Uh, going back to the third goal, uh, moments before it happened, Bill Hamid was forced into action at the other end of the field. Um, when Taylor Kemp got in a little bit of an awkward situation uh, inside the box, there there were some weird deflections happening, and uh, he got caught on an island a little bit, and, and Bill Hamid managed to um, come out and smother the danger very, very well. And he was quick off his line and, and aggressive, which is probably he's elite in a lot of ways. And I think that's one of the more underrated aspects of his game, even though sometimes people talk about it is just his decision making. When he comes off the line, he comes off the line and he gets there. Um, and, and in this case, it, it probably saved a goal. And then moments later, United take the lead from two to three. If Bill Hamid doesn't make that play, maybe it's two to one Mm -hmm. and that third goal doesn't happen. So it's, it, it was a big play at that end. I think the his plays that people are really going to be remembering, which Ben alluded to, were in the second half of, mm-hmm. of this game. He made some pretty great saves, Ben. He did. And, I mean, it was, it's been talked about on the Twitterverse, but bears mentioning again, uh, the Bill Hamid of late August and early September maybe doesn't make that big extension save. I mean, it's a save we know he has in his repertoire. He's made it. A number of times before, but the Bill Hamid of August was maybe at 85% of his normal self. And now it's quite obvious that he's back to 100% of his game-saving self. Uh, That could have been a rocket golasso into the top left corner. And instead, Bill Hamid makes a great looking save, but still makes it look kind of easy because that's the way he works and just his positioning on that goal was fantastic too he knew the defense had he knew the the attacker only had one place to shoot and made sure that he had it covered he didn't really he was at full extension but he almost didn't have to be you're right he made it look easy yeah and hopefully Jurgen at least catches the highlights of this and (laughs) bumps up Hamid from seventh on his depth chart you're assuming least, he will see them and interpret them correctly. Well, that's true. He'll probably I mean, see them. <laughs> the first I, step I don't have doubts about. At least, I mean, come on, just compare that to David Bingham and come on. Come on. <laughs> I will say, that, to touch on that briefly, I don't. I know a lot of DC fans were upset about Bingham being that high on the list as well. But Young Bro is worse. Yeah, Bingham has been really good in San Jose. I know there's no good reason to watch an Earthquakes game this year because they are unwatchable, but um, if you have happened to see them uh, through some accident or through addiction, 
Um, Bingham has been pretty good. He didn't look good on the goal that New Zealand scored at RFK, um, but most of his season has been good. He's a better goalkeeper than Yarbrough, and if you're talking top seven, maybe he's in the discussion. Uh, his his being on there wasn't the one that bothered me, which is Yarbrough. <laughs> well, and Sean Johnson even making a top seven. Yes, yeah, so, Sean Johnson's still ridiculous. on that list somehow uh, yeah. in a world with, like, I mean, he wasn't – he was getting benched. He got benched for Chicago's Open Cup semifinal, the only important game they had this year, and they went with Matt Lampson instead. And I mean, I hate to say any good things about any Red Bull, but Luis Robles is a far better goalkeeper than Sean Johnson. Yeah, there, are, there are a lot of U.S. eligible goalkeepers ahead of Sean Johnson in reality. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, reality doesn't make the decisions. We're all living in Jurgen Klinsmann's reality now. Yeah. Um, luckily <laughs> – Deal in, with that. Luckily, in our reality, Bill Hamid was named to the team of the week, along with Lloyd Sam, uh, Patrick Mullins, and Bobby Boswell, both on the bench, I guess they call it. They they round out, they help round out the the 18-man team of the week uh, on MLSsoccer.com. Congrats to all four of them. They used to name a coach, I feel like, and I don't think they do anymore. Um, they did. Oh, they, they did? And I just, yeah. No, I'm saying that, yeah, they used to. You didn't make that up. Okay. Uh, but they don't name a coach of the week anymore, which is unfortunate because I would have uh, liked to see them say nice things about Ben Olsen. It's it's always good to see, you know, our team get a little bit of love. Um, speaking of Ben Olsen, uh, I will claim credit for a better segue on that one. Uh, let's talk about Benny Ball for a little bit, because uh, one of our readers, I think it was Brandonica, in the comments uh, on some posts this or today, I guess, and last night, uh, said some things that I was thinking as well, that this is this is still Benny Ball. It's just a different type of Benny Ball that's closer to what we saw uh, in 2012, but it still has the fundamental aspects of Benny Ball in there. It's still... I, I mean, I'm going to start off with a caveat that everything that follows uh, in this is under protest because I do not value the term Benny ball because it doesn't mean anything that we can all agree on. Yes. It means whoever, whoever's speaking is what is what they want it to mean. Um, and I want to make my, they, my biases and assumptions clear, right? Um, it's a cipher of a term, uh, that United fans have been trying to say to each other as if they all agree on what it means, but we don't all agree on what it means, which is why I assiduously avoid it whenever I can go. Ahead. And yet here we are. <laughs> I can't, I can't avoid it now. I, I guess, well, it's, I guess, your, it's, it's your fault. You're the one who brought it up, Adam. <laughs> I'm not I'm saying not Adam. I avoid it. Um, no, I. I'm not the. I'm not trying to avoid it right now. I did bring it up. Um, I was hoping you were blaming Jason for that because no, that would have no, been no. fun. That, that's why I said Adam, just yeah, to make no. sure to everyone out there. I understand. But, anyway, but yes. I think I. To my mind, this system still values goal production and chance creation over possession for possession's sake. It is uh, direct in a way it is playing to the advantages of DC United squad rather than trying to overcomplicate things. It, and it still requires a high work rate and a high intelligence from the players. It, it bears, kind of the hallmarks of everything Ben Olsen has been going for. It's just, he's got more attacking talent that fits together in a better way and doesn't require a freelancer like Fabian Espindola with one person who's really good at interpreting him like Chris Rolfe to work. 
I mean, a lot of that, like the, the work rate and soccer IQ part is pretty much a requirement for any way of playing. Yeah. Um, a short passing team still has to be very intelligent. They have to work extremely hard without the ball or else you can't yeah, that's true. play that game. Um, but uh, I will say the 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 focus on moving upfield quickly um, is something that seems to be I think Olsen, Olsen is a pragmatist. He'll yes, he, he wants to he would like to play front foot soccer if it's possible. And this is the first time that he's had a team capable of that, including the 2012 team, which was often not so much a front foot team as a team that wanted you to make a mistake and then pounce. Mm -hmm. um, he would like that, but you have to have the players to do it. And he wasn't willing to die on that hill um, as some coaches in MLS are. Um, and, and I feel like kind of die on that hill in 2013. Well, that, that team, team couldn't that team couldn't play any style of soccer successfully. So yeah, that's true. There was there any tactical scheme you could have come up with would have been it would have failed in pretty much the exact same way. But the supposedly hyper defensive defense first, second, third, and last mm. approach, which better describes the Colorado Rapids than DC of now than any version of DC United, but still that defense first approach started after the 2013 season, really. Right, uh, and that's because that's of that's what was available. Yeah, um, exactly. The the roster that they could build, the best roster they could build, involved picking up players that could play that way and pretty much only that way. And we would see United try and open up, and it would work a game or two, but then it would not work. It would come back down to earth, and you'd have to go back and say, you know what, we caught teams off guard, and now they they're on to us, and we can't. It's not going to succeed. And so back to Plan A, which was not very not very thrilling to watch. I think everyone can agree on We can't agree on what Benny Ball means, but we can agree that even the successful teams in 2014 and 2015, successful on 2015 is kind of in quotes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they weren't fun to watch, um, especially last year. Um, but no, the, the, the direct uh, thought process is, is the implementation of it is a lot different. The, in the past, it was more than willing to go long. Um, now the idea is to move quickly up the field, but keep the ball on the ground for the most part. Um, I mean, Hamid is still, um, punting a lot rather than, uh, passing out of the back. Um, but the, the number of long balls, I mean, I'm looking at it right now is, is lower, uh, for a lot of players. I mean, Boswell only attempted six, uh, in, in 90 minutes, which in the past that would have been like 15 to 20. Yeah. Um, his, uh, you know, Taylor Camp does tend to t attempt a lot more. I think teams, I think a lot of teams know that if they funnel United that way, he'll just thump it long. And it also means that if he's played a long ball, you, he can't then join the attack. It'll take a while before the attack can cycle back to him. Um, so you sort of cut him out by making him the guy that has to play long out of the back. He did play uh, a good number. He played 14, which is maybe a little high. Um, but I think... I think a major difference now is the willingness to be more structured. Um, whereas before there was a group that was structured and a group that was not structured at all. And that was the Espindola Rolf uh, group in which um, I don't remember who put it out there, but there was, there was a little heat map of where those two would combine on the field. And it was basically like a question mark almost. Mm -hmm. It was like, it could be anywhere. Um, and that not, not a heat map shaped like a question mark, just right, right. no red areas and it no had, areas untouched. Right. It, it had everywhere. no, it had no real information to offer you other than obviously they could be anywhere. Um, 
that was a very unstructured way of attacking. Now United is much, the roles are very clear um, for everyone involved. And so that's a big difference in my opinion is that going forward, it's a, it's, even though it looks more fast moving and looks more fluid, I think the roles are actually more rigid than they used to be. Um, but in adding those uh, defined roles, you end up sort of freeing the players up from having to figure one more thing out on the field. And you end up getting a team that looks freer, even though they've been given, you know, a few restrictions here and there. Sometimes restrictions can actually be um, a help towards uh, being more creative because it takes something off of your plate and lets you focus down on what you actually should be focusing on. Ben, anything to add before we take a break? I, I just reiterate that Benny Ball is a phrase that your definition of always reveals your implicit biases. So let's kill it dead and burn it with fire. I'd rather just make my biases explicit rather than implicit. And my right. assumptions. So don't, so don't use Benny Ball. Just bring, bring your biases out. Bring them. Bring them to us. Bring out your biases. Dong. Exactly. All right. I apologize to everyone for that. Stick around, please. Please don't leave. We will be right back to preview DC United's regular season finale down in Orlando right after this break. So please, please, please stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, Orlando City is DC United's next opponent, and although they've been eliminated, they uh, went into the almost 100% fully uh, playoff bound. There's just the slightest outside chance they don't make it. They went to Philly, who is the team I'm talking about. This has been a fantastic sentence. Thank you all for putting up with me. This segment is obviously going much better than the end of the last one. Abandon anyway, now. Just just bail now. Orlando City went to Philly, who is almost 
guaranteed a spot in the playoffs and won two to nothing at the union this weekend. And the lions will host DC United on decision day, uh, which I guess we all have to call it uh, Sunday at 4 PM, the same time. Can't tell me what to do. All other 18 teams and MLS are playing this one in particular will be on WJLA ABC seven in the district and environs. And then on the Sinclair station in your market, if you are not uh, local to DC, Ben, a couple weeks ago, I, I said that Orlando City might be better once the pressure's off. Um, and they, you know, since then, they, they've drawn Toronto in Toronto, lost at home, won nothing to uh, the Montreal Impact, and gone in and dispatched the Union. Do you think there's anything to that? Uh, I think there's a little bit to it, sure. Uh, these Some of these players are especially the younger players who we'll get into in more depth in a little bit uh, are trying to show off what they can do on this team, hoping not to be sent back maybe to, or sent for the first time to Orlando city B uh, or hoping to get a contract just to stay around in MLS next year. Uh, But on the other hand, some of their more veteran players, especially it being the last game of the season may not have that much interest. I could see Kaka in particular not being very interested in the proceedings, especially it being the last game of the season, them having nothing at all to play for, uh, just trying to play out the string of the season and 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 move on from there and start over uh, in the off season. So I think definitely some of the players will have will be into it just remains to be seen in my mind whether their biggest weapons will be as threatening as we think they might be or if they're all going to pull Didier Drogba's and be non-entities <laughs> uh, in this last game. Jason, Ben mentioned the the personnel changes Orlando City has, has undergone since they lost to DC United 4-1 to on September 24th. What are some of those young faces that have been brought into the lineup? Well, one thing they've done is they've brought back um, Rafael Ramos, who was the starting right back early in the year and then had he kind of had a loss of form and then he had a hamstring strain and just basically vanished off the face of the earth. Um, He's still very young, so I assume that's more of a let's give the kid. I mean, it's him or or Kevin Alston who's been around for seven or eight seasons now. So um, I think this is more of a let's figure out what this young player can do. Um, it's a similar situation on the left with Mikey Ambrose, uh, starting over Luke Bowden, though I think they would have gone with Ambrose against United anyway, because of the speed factor. Um, Bowden is not fast. Ambrose isn't fast, fast, but I mean, he's at adequate fullback speed. Um, so I think those are, are two to two young players that are, are going to get looks in this last game. Um, up front, they've gone with two, four, rather than playing the four, two, three, one, which they'd. They're already kind of on the fence about when they came to D.C. They did play it that day, but then gave up on it fully uh, soon thereafter. Um, so it, we'll probably be seeing Carlos Rivas up front with Kyle Lahren, which means um, they're going to have two very, very fast players up front. Um, Lahren obviously has more hold-up work to do. Rivas is going to look to get in behind more often, but... Don't don't get it mistaken. I mean, Laren, just because he's a big body, he also he might actually be faster than Rivas in a straight sprint, which is ridiculous. 
Um, so it's a way that they can open up the field um, with that front line. It opens up things for the midfield. They are sacrificing one midfielder, which means they're going to, when United has the ball, they're going to struggle defensively. Um, but I guess their hope is that by pinning teams back with that much speed up front, uh, they sort of give themselves a little more um, freedom to build and also freedom defensively where they're not always overwhelmed by the numbers because you're having the opponent has to hold back a little bit uh, to deal with that speed up front. I guess it's that. And I think go ahead. I think we saw what happened when teams don't hold back uh, last weekend against Philly or yesterday as we record this against Philly. Um, All of Orlando City's big chances in that um, save maybe one uh, came just from running 40 yards behind the defense and going one V one with, with Blake. Um, and he managed to get a hand or a body on both eventual goals. And mm. one was a shot that was just too powerful to go in. And one was a very strange deflection that bounced off two bodies before Keegan Rosenberry had no choice, but to, you know, trying to clear it off the line, but just blasted it into his own net. Mm. But all of their chances basically came with, somebody running at full speed behind uh, the Philly defense. And and it's interesting that that's the way they've decided to go because it does mean leaving out Kevin Molino. I mean, with with Kaká on the team, um, it basically leaves Molino or uh, Matias Perez-Garcia fighting for one spot, and Christ has gone with Perez-Garcia, which is a strange situation because Molino has like 11 or 12 goals, I think. He's been one of the best players for Orlando all year. Um, and that's a straight, that's a situation to watch. No, I mean, I don't think he's going to end up in DC because DC, uh, thankfully has a very deep, uh, set of midfielders right now, but it wouldn't shock me if Molino, even though we're talking about a guy with, um, yeah, 10 goals this season, um, and seven assists and he can't get a game right now. Uh, he played nine minutes, uh, against Philly. Um, but if the, if Christ wants to build his team around Kaká and Perez Garcia more, and he wants to add a, a second forward, then a player like Molino loses out. Um, it's an interesting, I, it's an interesting experiment from them. Um, certainly I think they've gotten away originally what they did when they changed formation was to keep Molino involved and, uh, Antonio Nocerino was just alone as the, the only defensive midfielder. Um, now assuming he doesn't just try to, uh, get himself sent off for reasons unknown again, um, other than I guess reluctance to be at RFK. I don't know what else his problem was that day. Um, maybe he was angry that United didn't go over the top to, uh, uh, you know, pay <laughs> even sure more they signed him and put yeah, him on a good team. Why didn't you guys offer me like $1.1 million over the uh, Orlando's 900,000? Come on. Um, Assuming he doesn't have a bizarre meltdown uh, again, um, this time they had, or against the Union, they had Christian Higuita out there as well. Um, but I'm not certain that 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 will stay in place, just because at this point you're just in. Let's figure out if we if we can stumble onto something with these bonus. They're essentially bonus games to uh, look at um, on tape. You're, you're, you know, you're not going to gain anything from these games. So at this point, you're just trying to see what if we stumble onto something that works with this group for next season, um, and we leave we leave ourselves with less to do in the preseason because Orlando's mm-hmm. probably got a pretty significant rebuild to do. Right. Um, I wonder. I wonder if they don't come out in an old 
old Bob Bradley empty bucket um, because you have Kaká and Perez Garcia, mm-hmm. who both are naturally central attacking midfielders, but have both played on the outside. Right. You have them line up technically on the outside, but very narrow and ahead of the two central midfielders. Mm-hmm. So they're they're like Dempsey and Donovan used to be um, for Bob Bradley's U.S. national team. Two forwards up top, one of whom, either of whom, is pretty comfortable uh, checking back from time to time, not not on the regular necessarily. And you just run. You just get into the and, open field and run and play through balls and go fast. And, and that and seems Rivas, like a reasonable strategy for them. And Rivas is capable of pulling wide, which um, Kreis has a long history playing a narrow midfielder. A narrow midfield, but he wants someone up on the front line to pull wide. He even had, um, leaving Laren as a lone forward, he was still having him pull wide often. Right. Um, yeah, and, and then that goes back to Fabiana Spindola and then um, Joao Plata. Yeah, and at, at RSL, he had a Spindola with Saborio in the middle, um, and a Spindola would pull wide. Um, it does because the thing is that way of lining up. If you don't have somebody from the front line pull wide, and no one from the midfield does it, all of your width comes from your fullbacks. Like it's it's entirely dependent on them. And if they don't come through, you are not going to be able to break an opponent down unless they just are terrible. Um, so it does – that is an element to look out for. Certainly um, with Rivas being a winger-forward hybrid, that's going to be part of his role um, if, if that's how they're going to go uh, going forward. But um, outside of that, I think you know it's important that United pushes, especially if they want to stick with Ramos and Ambrose. Um, those guys love to get forward, which means there's going to be space in behind. And if Orlando wants to take that much of a risk at home in a game where – they don't really have anything to lose, so they're probably going to look to put on a show for the home fans. You know, they get one last game. You at least want to give them uh, some fun. If they want to open up like that, then United is a smart enough team that they should be more than able to take advantage of that kind of game um, and punish Orlando for trying to be an attack-minded team at this point. We're, we're at the point where United actually is good enough going forward that they can deter teams just by their the threat of how, how good they are going forward. Um, just that possibility is a deterrent and Jason Christ has to make a decision coming into this game. Do I want to open up 100% um, and go full throttle on this game at the risk of getting blown out? Um, it, and this is a, you know, his, the, the managerial seat at Orlando city is um, not a, it's not a long-term position um, unless right. you're winning. Uh, um Getting they have not done well since he came in. They had a brief right. spell where they were all right, but they've gone back to not being very good anymore. If they close the season out on a blowout loss at home, I don't know how many games he gets because of how quickly they toss people aside. He might get like half a season to get it right next year, um, because of, because of how the unique situation in Orlando, which is a there's a Brazilian ownership group and they run it like a Brazilian league team. Um, in a lot of ways, which means you could get fired pretty much at any time. Like if you have one bad game, you could get fired. It's not to that extent, but it's the MLS version of it. Right. I wonder, I, I, I don't think it would probably go over well with, with that ownership group, but I wonder if he, he would approach them or, or somebody in the front office and say, Hey, I'm thinking about just throwing caution to the wind and trying to put on a show for this last game while also testing out some facets of a system for next year with some of these young players to see if they can hack it. And if it doesn't work, we're going to lose and lose badly. 
but if it works, we might see some promise and we might be able to build on it. I, I uh, don't I think mean, I don't... many ownership groups would, would necessarily uh, warm to that. But when, when there's literally nothing for them to play for other than putting on a show for the fans I, and building for next year. I suppose there's some minor psychological benefit because they could jump over uh, the revs um, and be the seventh place team again, uh, just like they were last year where their late, late burst got them to the edge of the red line so they could tell themselves, oh, we only just missed out. Um, right. And they spent I most yeah. of the spring telling themselves that even though it was like, yeah, but for like 90% of the season, you were bad. Uh, yeah. DC uh, United was just barely ahead some... of the red line, but it's because they banked points early. Yes. They were the yeah, opposite yeah. of our, of Orlando city. Yeah, in every you know, way. Orlando, Orlando kind of papered over some cracks with their, their finish at the end. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, it's they're a little hard to predict at this point because there's no there's nothing riding on this game for them. Um, there's mm-hmm. no tangible. If they stay in eighth, it's not going to matter. It actually um, it helps their that, draft pick. Uh, right, like I don't endorse the idea of losing out, but if they were to lose, they would be drafting earlier. Yeah. So um, I I wonder if this game won't go something like um, the win over the crew went for United at RFK um, a few weeks back where. United was kind of outplayed in the first half, uh, but managed to essentially they, they dropped the press until halftime, sat back, absorbed pressure, tried to hit where they could, and then came out in the second half with, with some adjustments and, you know, tore the game up basically. Yeah. There might be, there might be a need for um, adjustments in game and at halftime because of the fact that Orlando is trying to figure some things out themselves. And if, they come out in the first 15 minutes and their their experiment looks like it's working. Um, yeah, United might have to sit back and just, you know, try and keep the game boring, um, which might not sound like fun, but it is good playoff practice. Um, because when you go on yeah. the road in a two-leg series, you certainly, you're not necessarily go- going to be in a good position if your game is some sort of crazy thriller that doesn't play very well. Um, so... Going to Orlando and keeping, you know, let's say Orlando figures out something. And it's like, oh, this really worked out well. Um, if United can keep it uh, at a shutout still uh, at halftime and then figure it out and then win the game from there, that's a, a pretty decent dress rehearsal for uh, the playoffs where every goal counts. I mean, I, I saw, I think Thomas Floyd tweeted out that NYCFC should be concerned after this past week because their performance in the first half was the kind of performance that can that can be why you went out of the playoffs, like one yeah. bad half um, out of a four out of four halves in a home and away series. You could be done uh, mm-hmm. if you lose three one uh, in the first leg. That you know they're fa- they're going to be facing a first leg away game uh, for on their in their end. So um, this is the kind. These are the kind of games where you can really you get a good chance to prep without necessarily being too damaged. I mean, United does have the the stakes of clinching that home knockout round game, which is a very big deal. Yeah. Uh, especially when you compare United's home run, a, a home home record of late to their road record on the season, which is, I mean, they did win their last road game, but they've only got two road wins on the entire year. It's not yeah. encouraging. And it would um, be something yeah. if they, they closed the season with two consecutive and, road. And wins. even, even if and, their away record was great, you still don't want to have to travel uh, midweek um, as they would have to do. Uh, so you, you're to, giving, Mon- to Canada, 
Yes, to Canada. Um, you don't want to have to travel if you don't have to. And, and when you're already on a roll like this, um, you know, if United wins this game, they'll be hosting a game. And then they'll be if they win that, they'd be hosting the first leg of a mm-hmm. uh, semifinal. So um, you get you you're all MLS teams are focused on momentum. I mean, Colorado, their success this year is almost a uh, entirely down to momentum and defensive organization and players buying in despite it being an unpleasant thing to have to buy in on. Um, and Pablo Mastroni being a literal wizard. I don't know about that. I mean, I, I feel like there are like 10... It's Oscar Pereja, let's be clear. I feel like there are 10 coaches in MLS that could succeed playing the rapid style um, by getting the players to buy in. I don't and think one of them is, is here in D.C. <laughs> uh, and we, we've seen... United play almost to this. I mean, Colorado is a little better at it, but they're also a little more committed to a let's be a team that doesn't give up goals ever. And maybe if we score, that'll be nice. Um, I mean, the, the, what is there? I mean, they also goal, have some higher end talent than DC United, at least more expensive talent than DC United had when they were playing that style. So yeah, those, I mean, those game breakers, like it's like Drogba when he was at Chelsea when when they played a really negative style, they had Drogba to break the game open when they needed to, and along with some other guys who were pretty good. But right. it's you know, Colorado, you know, when Jermaine Jones is healthy, they have him. They have, uh, uh, shoot, I'm I'm blanking on his name now. Gushy, <laughs> uh, yeah, Gushy, yeah, Skelton Gushy, uh, who's been. Who's better than I thought he would be for them, honestly. I've seen people knocking his – because his stats aren't that great. His goals and assists aren't that great. But if you look at the, like, game-to-game production of, like, chances and other stuff, he is – when he's been available, he is, like, 90% of their attack. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. In a world where they've got Kevin Doyle, who is, um, I think, Matt Doyle, uh, tweeted out a comparison of Kevin Doyle and Adam John over the weekend. Yeah. so and their stats are pretty comparable on a per minute basis, which is not a great advertisement for your. Uh, we signed a former Premier League striker, like yeah, but a lot of Premier League players aren't very good. It turns out um, comparing him to a guy whose Twitter handle used to be Pillow Feet. That's true, uh, which is the name that uh, Dom Kinnear gave him. Um, but yeah, uh, the the Rapids are they are what they are, man. Uh, Watching their games, is it's one of the strangest things because they are very good at defending. Uh, they're not really that good at anything else, but they lull everyone into sl- to, to sleep because everyone's like, to break the Rapids down, we're going to have to send extra numbers forward. We know we have to do it, and then something goes wrong, and then the Rapids you know, stumble their way to a goal, and that's it. That's please, what happens. Please somebody kill them so we don't have to have a repeat of the 2010 MLS Cup. Well, we can't have a repeat yeah, because that was well, I mean, not, not that not that kind of repeat, but okay. a, a, a spiritual repeat. <laughs> I mean, well, we could have a repeat of the '97 MLS Cup, though it wouldn't be at a rainy RFK. Yeah, I was going to say it would be at uh, the wildly unpredictable weather of Colorado. Uh, it, it it could be with a neon ball. Commerce we could have City. a. Uh, I was about to say a, Denver, but that's wrong. We could have an MLS Cup final at a rainy RFK, but it we would could. require. Being against not Colorado yes. or Dallas or, or LA. Dallas or LA. <laughs> yes. Uh, possibly Port- also Seattle. Portland or the Sporks. Yeah. Probably. Uh, although Portland's on the outside looking in right now. Who's fourth right now in. But if they, in the if they knocked out the Sporks. Yeah. If they, they it, could still do. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, Jason, any other names we should be worried about on Orlando that we, we might not already be familiar uh, with? Well, after the in the aftermath, now right before I was about to close the, the tab with their lineup from this game, um, in the aftermath of the last Orlando game, one of my complaints was that Jose Aja ended up having five shot attempts and four of them were headers inside the box. Uh, that cannot happen again. United has to defend set pieces better than they did the last time they met the Lions. Um, because if you give a center back four headers in a game, generally speaking, one of them is going to be dangerous, uh, if not more than one. Um, so that has to be better. They actually started, um, Seb Hines, uh, started over, um, uh, Davi Mateos is injured, so he'll be out. Um, Seb Hines stepped in and Seb Hines had like four goals in the preseason on, on headers. Um, I don't I think he's got two or three in the actual season. Um, so they're going to be very dangerous in the air with those two, with uh, Kyle Lahren. So the set-piece defending has to be better than it was the last time. Yeah, he's got, Hines has three goals on the year um, and four goals in 48 appearances as a center back, which is a pretty good record. So set-piece defending, I'm sure, will be something United is working on, maybe a little more than usual. Because if Orlando can't get anything else right, they might still win the game just based on the number of good aerial threats they have combined with Perez Garcia is pretty good at serving a ball in Kaká. Um, there are cer- certain spots on the field Kaká has no interest in taking a free kick, which is a little odd. But mm-hmm. if the ball's in one of his areas, he waves everyone off and, and goes for it. Either way, um, some talent there in terms of serving the ball. And so that's a, a major issue United has to improve upon. Um, to make sure that this game goes at least somewhat similarly to the last game against Orlando. Ben, anything else you want to touch on before we we bail on the show for the night? Screw screw Orlando. It would be great to bookend uh, this a lovely winning streak with nice victories over them. Well, we'd also like to see the winning streak continue into the playoffs, so hopefully not a, a true bookend. I don't ben, you just, you, just, you just cursed the entire playoff run. It's all your fault. Thanks. Okay. Um, I, I'll also note for our listeners that Ben was actually rooting against Orlando's old USL affiliate um, over the weekend. Uh, partially, I mean, they are the team that knocked the kickers out, but partially, I assume, because of their old Mostly. Orlando links. Mostly, I think. Um, and this uh, is also, well, there there are actually multiple. There are actually three reasons. Okay. They, I just want to. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to point out that it wasn't just rooting against Louisville City. It was yeah. rooting against Louisville City against New York Red Bulls, too. Ben was rooting yes. against both of them, to be fair. He did not want anyone to win. Very true. Yes, I wanted more of like a meteor to happen. But no, it's See, I reasons. don't because my in-laws were at that game, and I like my in-laws. Okay, well, that's fine. Oh, they, I guess they weren't at that game because it was in New Jersey. Never mind. So they beat the kickers in the playoffs. Yes, they are. They were Orlando City's affiliate and they took over Orlando City's USL franchise rights. So they are also not they are the spiritual successors to the USL version of Orlando City. So screw them for all three of those reasons. I will say purple makes way more sense in Louisville, where there is a University of Louisville, University of Kentucky, red versus blue rivalry. And so purple makes sense as a way to combine the two. That said, the name Louisville City SC, just to keep the Orlando City thing going. Eh. Oh, no, they're, they're City FC. 
Oh, they are FC. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So they, they took the Orlando City thing and made it worse. Well, no, they did what everyone is doing. I don't know if you know this, but you legally can't start a soccer team in the United States of America unless it is named City FC. This was... Uh, that's, that's a real law. I don't think it is. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that's I would so have seen that. <laughs> <laughs> My day job is... is Dealing with legislation and Congress. would have seen this. I, I would have seen this. Or if you didn't, pretty if sure. didn't come across your desk, someone would have been like, hey, Adam, this might concern you. You like soccer, right? Uh, but, but no, you were off that day. <laughs> You're watching Hamilton. Oh, well, that explains it. They actually, I actually did take off of... Yes. That, that, See? That could have exactly. Been. I don't think it did. I'm pretty sure someone would have mentioned it to me, like Jason said. But... Anyway, thank you all for listening to this train wreck of a show. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Is Google Play a thing yet, Ben? Not yet. Soon. Eventually, we will be on Google Play. Um, hopefully, this doesn't become an interminable running gag that we're not on Google Play, but we're trying. Longtime listeners of the podcast might remember our long time talking about how we were going to switch uh, RSS feeds that never actually happened. So hopefully it's not like that, too. Well, that, we, was like, that was like four years ago. Yeah, that, that was because we heard that um, FeedBurner was going to Google was going to kill FeedBurner and they just never did. So hopefully they never do, because then we will have to change our RSS feed. So thank you for bringing up those dark memories, Ben. That You're was, welcome. That was real good. You're welcome. Send your, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, mostly, though, tell a friend about the, the show when you're watching all the MLS games that are happening at the same time at 4 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, mention it to your buddy at the bar that, that there's this podcast you listen to, and they're kind of dumb, but you like them anyway. We will talk to you real soon. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Orlando. Oh